Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 92 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 2nd of December 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 24. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'll be reading this morning, God willing, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they, all of those, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Father, we thank you again today, Lord, for the privilege to stand, for your word that's before us, for your spirit that is within us, for each individual that is here this morning And Father, we pray now, Lord, that as you look upon the hearts of all, you know the needs of all, that, Lord, you might see fit not because that we deserve anything, but because we stand in such great need this day that you might see fit, Lord, to speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit, Lord, that our hearts, that our lives might be changed, Lord, that we might all leave here today closer to you, more like our Savior, more usable of you than ever in our lives We give you the praise for it in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Well, as I've stated already, that there is a a lot that we have covered concerning this matter of the church. Uh, We began by defining what what a church really is. I mean, you know, we, we get these kind of religious ideas and, and so often we went through all of these things that people think of the church many times that it's some kind of a, a, a structure that, uh, that they go into or that it's maybe some great uh, denomination, the church of this or the church of that. But we said that's not God's church. We defined what we called the prospective church, that church that we mentioned earlier that that future assembly that is being built by the Lord Jesus Christ and that one day he will call out of this earth and we will all be together and go to the marriage supper of the Lamb together to be wed to our Lord. But then we spent time specifically speaking of the present church. Right now, where you and I are right now, we have this local church and boy, again, I've already said it's made up of a whole lot of imperfect people. And if we're not careful, well, we can all start getting our own ideas and we can be divided over this and divided over that. We looked at 
how the Bible describes this body, this present body, this local body, just like that we are here at Bethel. We saw that they're described as believers. We saw that they're described as a body, a building, a bride, and we, we looked at what all those things say to us. We then turned to the design of that, of that church and how this organization is put together, and of course, it is Christians, born again, baptized believers that are united together in one mind, in one heart, in one accord with Jesus Christ himself as our head. We saw that that body has two offices, one that is called by God. They're called pastors, elders, bishops that God calls for the specific purpose of preaching and teaching the word of God to his people. Those that are chosen by the church, the deacons that are there to minister to the needs of the people so that the pastors, the elders, the bishops can give themselves continually to prayer and to the preaching of God's word. We've looked at the ordinances, those two ceremonies that they might truly, we might understand and they might mean to us. They, they just become rituals that people do like baptism and the Lord's Supper, the two ordinances that have given to the church and the meaning behind those. But then we've been in recent weeks turning our attention to the operation of the church. We have seen as we, as we look there that, you know, first of all, and whatever the church does, that there's got to be the right focus. Our focus has got to be right because, you know, sometimes our, our attention can be diverted. and We can get focused on all the wrong things and sometimes even get focused upon good things that are not the most important things. And again, we looked at a number of things, but we saw three important truths from God's Word. First of all, that where God dwells, His glory will be present. Folks, when God's around, you will know it. <laughs> you know, it's not something that uh, we'll just be able to kind of to, to sit in and not change things and not do things. When God is present, we see in His Word. This is what we call His intrinsic glory. It's just Him. It's what He is. You can't change it. And when He's there, it'll be there. We saw secondly that being made in God's image and as his children, that we should bring glory to God, that ascribe glory to him. Our lives, what we do, the, the way we think, the way we say, the way we speak, man, do we get it wrong sometimes. But you see, our desire, our goal should be that God would be glorified in everything that we do. And of course, that ascribed to the church is that body of believers as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church should bring glory to God in everything. If what we're doing, if the way that we're approaching it, if the way that we're doing it, if the reasons that we're doing it, anything doesn't bring glory to him, then folks, we've missed the mark. We're not focused on the right thing. No matter what good that it might be doing, no matter how good that it might seem to us, no matter how good that it might make us feel, how much that we might enjoy it, all those things. I'm saying our focus, is it bringing glory to him? We looked at a number of things concerning that. But then we 
moved our attention from that to the functions of the church. In other words, the church in doing this, what is it that the church should be doing? You know, churches do a lot of things in this world. There's all kinds of things and all kinds of reasons that they do them, but why has Jesus Christ built his church? What should we be doing as a church? And of course, as we looked at some of those functions, we began by talking about this one that we said, really, you know, we do a lot of things, but we come together on the Lord's Day just like we are here today. People come together with a lot of ideas in mind sometimes. Uh, Too often people come to the church for what it can do for them. I can promise you that coming to church will do a lot of things in your life. That's not why we're here. We can come to church because it's the right thing to do, and it is the right thing to do. That's not why we're here. You know, we come together for a lot of reasons, but as we come together today as an assembled group of people like this, one of the things that is a church that we spend so much of our time doing is going through services that we call worship services. We come together as a group, as a body. It's one of the times when many people may be doing a lot of different things in the church and through the church and for the church, but it's a time when we all come together, and that is to worship Him. We've looked at Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, We looked at, you know, uh, one of those beautiful truths where that the very first time that the word worship is used in our Bibles in the Old Testament was when Abraham was about to take his son Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him to the Lord. That's the first time that the word worship is used. They were to go there to worship. They went there, and of course, we know that was symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ coming and him being that last Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. And then the first place that worship is used in the New Testament is when Jesus entered this world, when the Magi came there to worship the child that had been born. I don't think those things are just mere coincidences within the Word of God. We've described worship. A.W. Tozer said, Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of that most ancient mystery the majesty which philosophers calls the first cause, but which we call our Father, which art in heaven. We looked at other descriptions, but what we want together, folks, is that we got to realize being in church does a lot for us, but that's not why we're here. That's not what the church is about. That's not the New Testament church that is described for us within the Word of God. We looked at what I simply call the essential in worship. The essential. You can't get away from it. The Bible gives us an essential, and that was that verse that is still printed in your bulletin this morning, that they that worship 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we looked at a number, there is no other worship, folks, in spirit and in truth. A lot of things we looked at in in that sermon. But ultimately, even though theologians can debate, I know they wouldn't argue, debate over whether that spirit there is your spirit or the Holy Spirit, I'm saying they're debating over something that doesn't matter. The spirit is from within. And if you belong to God, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The only way to worship God is for that Holy Spirit to be in control of you to where you're worshiping God from your heart, from within, from your spirit that is controlled by the Holy Spirit in truth. That truth can be applied in a number of ways. Yes, we can't come as a bunch of artificial fakes, (laughs) hypocrisy, pretending to be here to, to worship him when we're just really here for all kinds of other reasons. Are we here to truly lift him as high as he can be lifted, to magnify him, to glorify him, to look at him in all of his awe and his splendor in truth. He is truth. He is truth. His word is truth. We looked at all these things. It was his word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Folks, all of true worship is in spirit and in truth. It's going to come from genuinely the Holy Spirit working within us in control of our life, and it's going to be based upon his truth, not ours, not what we think, not what we can rationalize, but all these things. The essential of worship, if it's not in spirit and truth, he simply says that it's not true worshipers. Now, as we move on from from that great truth, we move to the idea of not only the essential of worship, but the elements of worship. Now, we said there's two two ways that people look at this, the regulative and the normative. Now, the regulative basically says this, that what we do in worship when we come together, we're going to base totally upon what God tells us in his word to do and not to do that is acceptable. Many people will worship in what is known in theological circles as the normative principle which means, okay, we can do whatever we want to as long as God doesn't forbid it. In other words, if God doesn't say it's wrong, it's okay to do it. Well, there are some that go and approach it from that standpoint. But we approach it from the regulative standpoint, regulated by the Word of God, by God himself. God has told us what is acceptable to him in worship. We can go right through his word. What does God say worship should all be? We shouldn't be deciding what God wants in worship. And just because he hasn't said don't do it, it's okay to go ahead and do it. I'm saying that we should be regulated by what God says. Now, I've got one here somewhere. I've done scattered so many papers. In your bulletin this morning, you've got on that second page there, you know, what we call an order of service. It's what we do when we come together to give you some kind of an idea. Now, by the same token, there is a little note in there that uh, says that our times of worship are open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is a God of order, and all that we do should be done decently and in order. Our worship is meant to glorify God and magnify the Lord Jesus, not to entertain man. And then that great truth, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's not carved in stone. 
but God is a God of order. We have chosen this order of service not because we want to be over-mechanical, but because there's certain things that we want to do that God has said, that God approves of. Now, we can open our Bibles, and there's no printed order of service. Everybody won't do it the same way. Some people, their elements may change and be slightly different and may, may be in a different order, but that's not what we're talking about. God doesn't say you've got to do step one, step two, step three, step four. But God does show us the things that he has approved, the things that have been part of worship to him within his word. So as we begin to look at these things, we can take what God teaches us and we can have an order of service that will allow those things to be a part of what we do not just what we think is okay because God hasn't told us otherwise, but what God has shown us is acceptable. Now, the first thing that we normally do when we come together in an order of service, the first element of our worship, we normally sing a song. And singing is part of God's worship. Now, there is nowhere chapter verse in the Bible that you can go to that says, when you come to church, you have to sing. If you don't sing, then, uh, then you haven't worshiped. No, he says, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Everything that you do must be in spirit and in truth. Why do we sing? You know, some other church may choose to start their service a different way other than with just a song like that we do here at Bethel. Um, some churches think that that's the most important aspect. As a matter of fact, some of them talk about like, they're going to have a worship leader that's going to lead in this music, and then they're going to do something else afterwards when that preacher guy comes. <laughs> that uh, somehow that's the worship part of the service when saying, no, everything that we're doing should be part of our worship, uh, should be part of, of magnifying him. Um, why do we have music? Well, it should be as we, as we start our services with a song, is to help us to, to get our focus uh, upon the Lord to begin to uh, to get our hearts and our minds off of all those other things. You know, every one of us had different experiences this morning, even before we came to church. We probably walked through that door back there. We were thinking about something somewhere. It may have been good, may have been bad, but all kinds of different places. But we're not joined together in one mind and one accord when our minds are off in all kinds of different directions. Singing should be something that helps to bring us together. Now, if we look in Scripture, do we have the biblical basis for this? And I would say yes. Music, musical instruments, singing individually and corporately together, they've had an important role with God's people when they assemble together right through the Bible. Matter of fact, if you open your Bible right to the middle, you're going to open it up to the songbook. It's called Psalms. And there's 150 of them right in the middle of our body. That's, that's what they're there for. Many of those Psalms themselves, they're commending us to play our instruments, to sing our praises, to praise and glorify the Lord in music. The very first musical instrument in our Bible is mentioned in Genesis chapter 4. And when you get to Revelation, well, they're still there in heaven in Revelation 5. They're still 
using those instruments to glorify the Lord. All through the Bible, we find that one of the ways that God's people praise him and glorify him is through music. As the apostles were gathered there in the upper room at that last Passover that we've already looked at when we look at the Lord's Supper, just after the Lord's Supper was instituted and given to us to remember the Lord forever, the last thing they did before departing for the Mount of Olives was they sang a hymn. They sang a hymn together before they went out into the Mount of Olives to face all they were. Mark chapter 14, verse 26, and when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Of course, folks, just music of itself doesn't worship God. You know, it's, it's really hard for us, and, and, and I've, I've got this in my notes and, and, and probably have to skip around there in a minute when I get to them, but do you know that in our time of coming together, that many churches are very different because of what they teach and what they preach. If you look at their statement of faith that kind of tries to put in a nutshell, these are the cardinal things that we believe from the Word of God. And some churches are going to be different. Now, we've been looking for at these fundamental things for nearly three years, and the simple fact is there are fundamental truths that you cannot. And the vast majority, if they're truly Christian churches, not in name but in heart, Oh, uh, truly, then they're going to be in agreement on those fundamental truths that everybody must believe to be a part of the Christian faith. But then there are other things that are different. And, so, and there are things, and that's why you end up with Baptist churches and Anglican churches and Pentecostal churches. If they're truly saved, they're going to be in agreement on the fundamentals. There's going to be a lot of things that they have a different idea about. So it's important to find them, and those things are important, and, and churches are separate. But you know that even amongst those that believe the same truths, believe the same doctrines, that they are split and divided all over the place just over that thing called music and how music is used in their church and in their services. And believe me, there's all kinds out there, and people believe all kinds of things about it. But we need to recognize, you know, that there's something else not only are those that are in maybe the same grouping, like, for example, you take all the Baptist churches in the world, not only are there going to be differences because of the kind of music they sing and praise God with, the kind of music that they think is right and wrong. And, you know, people feel strongly about this. But, you know, even within a single congregation, a pastor tends to have to fight it most of the time even within a single congregation where they've joined themselves together in one mind and one accord on the truths of the Bible, people will have different ideas about what music's right and what music is wrong, what should be sung and what shouldn't be sung, what instruments should be played and what instruments shouldn't be played. Well, I want to give you a guiding principle to start with. In Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles Verses 18 to 20. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
a lot can be said about music. It is a powerful means of, of communicating. You see, not only is it something that flows from within us, you know, you ever been going down to suddenly you just realize you're just, you're just singing. <laughs> you might be whistling, you might be singing the words, it's just kind of kind of flowing out from within you. Singing comes from within, but singing and music does something else. It reaches to the very soul of man. It reaches to within. It finds a resting place there. You see, it is a wonderful way of communicating truth, and God does that in his word, but it's also just as powerful a way to communicate lies and heresies. People with all of their their strong feelings about it. Why? Because it evokes strong feelings from within. I mean, there's all kinds of questions whether or not any singing should be used in worship. You know, we think we got it. It's amazing. We've all got the right view. You can count on that. My way's right. I've got this figured out. Do you know that there was a time, you know, as we looked through in even churches that were our forefathers, that they didn't sing as part of their worship. There's nothing in the Bible, as I said, that says you have to sing. It's there, and it's something that we use, and we use it for a purpose. But there were those that when churches first began to sing, man, they thought these were the most ungodly people in the world. What has got into them? They've let that music come into the church because they'd never been a part of it. And, of course, then after some of those music, and you know something? The church thought those things that we hold so sacred called hymns, man, they thought that was the most ungodly world music in the world. They only sang psalms. If it wasn't a psalm in the 150 psalms that's in your Bible, it wasn't sung. When men began to write hymns, that was something that was so rejected by most of God's people because it was something that was, that was so different, so strange. They rejected it. Then when they started having those hymns and songs that they sang, of course, they sang it without any instruments to start with. And along came that ungodly piano. I mean, churches thought, man, the church has gone off the deep end. They've let those honky-tonk pianos into the church. <laughs> well, before they let the pianos in, they did let the organs in. Pianos came after the organs. <laughs> we could look at churches felt strongly, I mean, very strongly, that there was no place for that in the church. Were they sincere, genuine Christians? Yes, they were. Not only what instruments, even today, you know, should it just be the piano, just be the organ? What about the guitars, the drums, the flutes, the, all these other different instruments that you can go down through? Well, I'll simply say this, and you can agree or disagree or whatever. Man, there's all kind of instruments used throughout God's Word from, from the horns and the, and the flutes to the stringed instruments to the drums and everything else. An instrument can be used for the glory of God because it is in God's Word. But an instrument, that same instrument, can be used for the glory of man and God get no glory out of it whatsoever. So this preacher, if it's an instrument, it can be used for God if it's used in the right, right way to glorify God. They are in the Scripture, and they can be today. But some people have strong feelings about which ones should or should not be in our churches. That's great. Local churches have the right to make those decisions. What are we going to sing? Are we going to sing just the Psalms? Are we going to sing hymns, songs, 
choruses. I was just talking to somebody last week. Somebody had come and, and, and come to their church, and, 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 and they loved the church. They loved what was being taught, but they ended up leaving because they didn't believe that anything should be sung except psalms. Well, they feel strongly. Therefore, that's the way they worship, but that's a big question. Also, you know, even there's all kinds of questions about should this only be congregational singing? Or should we have choirs that maybe sing sometimes? Should we have groups of people that sing specials? Should individuals sing? Some churches feel very strongly about what that should comprise and what it should. Some think that if everybody's not singing it together, it shouldn't be sung. Others thoroughly enjoy hearing a good choir sing or, or somebody sing specials. These are legitimate questions that churches that even believe the same doctrines Ask themselves. The list could go on and on, and you know, I'm sure you don't want to listen to me on and on, though. I want you to understand there are many differences, and people can put forth strong cases for their opinions. We find that we would not be far wrong to say that it's, if not the, one of the most controversial issues in churches today. It often brings division. It often hampers true worship because of the spirit that it puts people in. You see, there's such division over what is something that is very hard to have a right and wrong answer, and yet it's something that we we have to take. It's important. Now, you know, I would consider myself very conservative when it comes to music. But, folks, there's some people who think I'm a heretic, you know, uh, I've never heard anybody say, well, I don't really care about this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, a... there are a few that might say, we want to be liberal. We want just people just to do what they want. But for the most part, everybody feels like they're doing it the biblical way. It's hard to maintain unity and harmony. As I said, even within a single church, let alone between different churches because of these different views and because of how powerful a medium that it is. I believe this. I can remember hearing a sermon preached back when I was probably in my very early 20s. The evangelist entitled his sermon, The Greatest Evangelist in the World. And what he was talking about was rock music. The greatest evangelist in the world because nothing had impacted the youth of America, Britain, of the world. Like that music had. And I had got a hold of them. And, of course, Satan takes and the, the messages that he puts. I mean, listen, you know, we have to be careful whether it's in the world or in the church. Tunes can be catchy. They might just come natural and it just kind of makes us want to move and pat our foot and shake our head and start singing along and all this stuff. But, man, sometimes we need to listen to the words that are being sung. Satan uses it because it's powerful. As a church, we need to recognize that it is powerful, but we need to use it properly. We need to use it in a biblical way. I look at men that I hold in great esteem. Great men, great women of God that have been used of God greatly, and yet they have different views on this issue. It's something that is very, very, very important to any church. It's something that I could spend much time on today, and people people begin to evaluate with all these different things, and they've always got a reason. And the simple truth is this. Whatever your feelings are about it, I'll try to respect your views, and I hope you will mine. Because as the pastor, 
I have a responsibility, and I will face God. You see, I'll face God not only because it's what I did in my life, but it's because of what I led you and in our times of worship. Now, you know, words are very important to start with. And I would simply say this. If we're going to worship in spirit and in truth, then the words that we sing are very, very important. Some people base a song on whether it's a psalm or whether it's a hymn or whether it's a song or whether it's a chorus. And some of those are right and some of them are wrong because of the way that they're lined up. That doesn't make sense to me at all. Some people base it, you know, again, upon uh, uh, whether it's old or whether it's new. If it's an old hymn, then it's good. Folks, you know from our service here, I love the old hymns, and I think they should remain a part of our worship, and they, they hold such great truths, and a, and a lot of churches just push them aside. There's great truths there that need to be held. That's why they've lasted, many of them, for the hundreds of years that they have. By the same token, some people think that if it's new, it's wrong. I've got news for you. Every song that we sing was new at one point in time. Being new doesn't make it wrong. The simple truth is, is that, yes, God can still use people to write music today just as surely as he did some of the great hymn writers like Fanny Crosby of bygone years, and God used them so greatly. God can still use people. So if you feel that it's, if you want to divide by new and old, that's fine. That's not what this preacher, I don't decide if a song's good or bad because it's new or old. Some people will decide whether a song, and, and absolutely, I mean, boy, some people can, can say we're doing this in love, but we're going to straighten everybody else out there because they don't do it like we do it. Many people think that it should be decided good or bad music because of who wrote it. Well, you're going to have a real problem being consistent because I want to tell you something. Some of those hymns that you sing all the time that you hold in such high esteem, you know, you, you can take some great men of God like, like, you know, what about the Wesley's hymns? Would everybody agree that, man, they were some great hymns and they're still with us and we still sing them today? Doctrinally, they were Armenian. That doesn't mean that their songs are heretical because they had a different doctrine if the words that are in that song are truth. We're worshiping in spirit and in truth. The words must be truth. Some of the songs were written by somebody at the total opposite other side of that spectrum, which was Calvinism. We're not going to sing. And there's, there's some of both in our hymn books, by the way, and we sing them both, and you sing them both. They had different doctrinal beliefs. We don't know what a lot of those people believed. We have no earthly idea what they believed. That is pretty inconsistent to say, well, we're not going to sing this one because this person wrote it. We'll sing that one because that person wrote it and they believe like I do. We can't judge them. We can judge whether that song is truth or not truth. And yes, there's a matter of we should be careful who we identify with. But I mean, just singing a song is not identifying with somebody any more than it is just like with those that we sing their hymns and they sing those hymns, we're not identifying with every doctrine that they believe just because we sing the hymns that they wrote. CCM. Everybody heard of CCM? Contemporary Christian music. I mean, it's a whole genre. You can go into, you know, anywhere and you can find, you know, it's, it's, it's part of what you can find out there. Contemporary Christian music. 
problem is, is a lot of people mean, everybody says, if it's contemporary Christian music, it's wrong. Well, if they're talking about that stuff that's being sold today that, you know, that, that sounds like, you know, that you've taken some kind of biblical message and added it to a pop concert or a rock concert or something like that, well, you know, that's not my cup of tea. They can have it. <laughs> I don't see that honoring God. I'm, honestly, it honors our flesh maybe, but not God. But by the same token, I mean, when you speak of contemporary Christian music, if you're speaking of just because something is contemporary, which means it's of our day. You know, people are contemporaries when they're in the same time frame. There is contemporary Christian music that is beautiful music. There's contemporary Christian music that is bad music, just like there has been in every time frame. Keep this in mind. Seeing is a part of worship. It takes up a lot of our time together as a church. People are going to disagree on it. And the thing is, is it gets people's spirits all out of whack. And sometimes it's because of what other people have told. I'm just saying, go to the Bible. You can't, you know, stop judging everybody based upon men's ideas. We're worshiping in spirit and in truth. The music must be truth. The words must be truth. And I would go to far as to say, you know, it's like I saw a great illustration one time. And it was taking songs that we know like, for example, God Saved the Queen or the Star-Spangled Banner, these majestic songs that are the anthems of our nations and things like this. Try putting those same words to some light poppy tune. <laughs> they just totally lose their meaning. There's no more of that majesty there. We need to remember who we're singing to, who we're singing about. And I've got news for you. You got strong likes and dislikes when it comes to music, but that's not what we're singing about. It's not about whether you like it. Music, you can like something. Something can feel good to you. Something can make you feel good, but that doesn't mean that it's honoring to God. We're not here to be entertained by musicians and singers. We're not here to entertain each other just because something feels good to us. If we're here to worship, we're here to lift him in his awe and in his splendor, and music is a big part of that, but it must be used right. It must be truth. It must be biblical. And yes, tunes relate to different things. If you want to go out there and, and listen to, to, to some of that stuff on your own time for your entertainment, that's between you and God, but a lot of it has no place in a worship service because we're not here to have a pop concert. We're not here to have a rock concert. We're here to sing truth. We're to sing it from our hearts. We're to sing it with meaning in a way that will magnify and lift him. I enjoy a lot of it. I'm sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> but that's not why we're singing it, because I enjoy it or because you enjoy it. We want to do what's right. We want to worship in spirit and in truth. If you're here today, you know that when we come together and we sing, you know we sing in the beginning, we sing in the middle, we sing at the end, because music has a way of speaking to people's hearts. But if we're here today, you know, the, one of the greatest reasons that we sing is to worship Him, to declare those truths. You know, we sing about God's love. We sing about Jesus Christ. When He came and He was born into this world and He lived that life and He died upon a cross and He paid for your sins, folks, you're no different than anybody else. We all mess up. We're all sinners. 
and the consequences of that sin. We said earlier, right after Karen gave her testimony, you know, when we sin in this life, when we make bad choices, there are consequences. Well, there is an ultimate consequence. That's to be separated from God forever. That's the quiet. God can't let sin in. If God let you in with the smallest sin ever been, none of us would have a heaven anymore because it was one sin in the garden that destroyed this earth. God doesn't want you to pay the consequences of your sin. He came to forgive you. He came to let Jesus die in your place because the wages of sin is death. When sin entered into the garden, death came with it. Jesus came to pay for that sin debt so that you could have life and have it everlasting. When we sing, that's what we want to lift. That's what we want to magnify, him and those truths that will change people's lives. It's God's truth. The greatest thing that we can put into a song to be sung for the Lord is God's truths. It must be based upon the word of God and what he said to us. Jesus died for you today. And as we even come together and talk about why are we here as a church and what are we supposed to be doing one thing is we're going, to, we're going to sing from our hearts. We're going to sing the truth. We want to magnify the Lord. We want to worship him. And as we do so, we want you to be able to join in because you yourself know that same God in your heart. Or we want it to minister to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're, I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you what you have. I'm just saying, have you ever humbled yourself before God and said, God, hey, you know, I messed up. I've sinned. I know what the consequence of that sin is. I'd sure like your forgiveness. I'd sure like to accept the payment that Jesus paid for me on Calvary so that I can spend eternity with you. God's done everything for you. But unless you accept it, unless you receive it, it can't accomplish that for you. We're getting ready to sing a closing hymn right now. And the words to this closing hymn says this. It says, there's room at the cross for you. And you see, I chose that specifically following our message this morning because I want you to know from God's Word, from music, from song as we sing this even now, I know there's room at the cross for you. Because this world is still here. Jesus Christ hasn't returned for us yet. It's no accident, it's no coincidence that God wants to give you that opportunity to have your sins forgiven. He will forgive you today, but only you can seek that forgiveness. He's done everything. All you got to do is admit that you need it and receive it and take it. Put your trust in what he did for you, not what you can do for yourself. That's it. You don't have to do this and change this and start doing this. God will help you with all those things in your life to be more Christ-like. All he wants you to do is admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for those sins. He wants you to come and receive forgiveness for those sins. We're going to sing this closing hymn. If you're here today, if you don't know that in your life, oh, I want to tell you, you need to know it today. You need to have that assurance of knowing. None of us know when we'll take that last breath. You know, God loved us so much. He was willing to pay the ultimate price, and he did that for you. 
And right now today, you know, if you've got questions, I don't have all the answers, but I sure know a place that does. And it's called God's Word. I can't save you. I can't make you a Christian. If I tried, then it, you would make a very good one, I can promise you. Today, God is waiting for you, though. We're happy to try to answer your question. We're happy to pray with you. We want to help you any way that we can because the most glorious thing in all the world is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to have that faith and confidence of knowing, hey, it's not because of me. It's because of him. He's done it all, and he's there for you today. 